Welcome to church, Elvis. church. It is good to see you. So glad you are here. So glad you are joining us online. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. You know, simply by showing up, sometimes we bring joy to the heart of the Lord. No matter what state you find yourself in here, you just simply by showing, by saying, I made a choice to come to the church, you bring joy to the heart of the Lord. So let's go to the word. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praises of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Our Father and our God. The beauty that you display before us, the beauty that your hands have created. And you lay them out and you place them for us to see, to us to enjoy and us to care for. We thank you, Lord. Help us to open our eyes to your majesty. Bless this place, Lord God. May your presence dwell in the hearts of the people here and those at home. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear what you would have for us, Lord. May our praises bring joy to your heart. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. If you would stand with me and recite our creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's worship. Amen. I encourage you to, to stay standing and join with us as we uh, sing some uh, choruses this morning. I was thinking as I was preparing for this morning, you can go ahead and, and, and
Amen. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. I would also like to wish you a very good morning and glad that you chose to worship with us here at Faith Discovery. For those of you who are joining us online, a great shout out to you. We're glad that you have joined us and hope that you are blessed in your home just as we are being blessed here in the sanctuary. Father God, we worship and adore you. You are the creator of all things. And you pronounce them good. And through you and for you, all things were created and are held together. We praise you because as part of your creation, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we lift your name on high, the name of Jesus, who has redeemed us with his blood. And we magnify your name, because one day you will come again, and you will set all things right. Hear our prayer, O Lord. We confess to you that we have done things which aren't pleasing to you, and that we have left undone many things that you have asked us to do. Please forgive us either for not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit or for ignoring what he says to us. We acknowledge our sinfulness before you and we ask for your mercy and forgiveness. And we turn to you now in an attitude of repentance and ask for your grace. Hear our prayer, O Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness to our church. We thank you for meeting our needs. We thank you for the many ministries you have given us, which your provision has enabled. Help us to be faithful to you in return as we commit ourselves to these good works. And fill us, Lord, with your spirit so that we might become the body of Christ that you desire us to be. We pray now for our needs as your children. And we ask, Lord, that you would heal those among us who are ill and who need a touch in their body or mind. We ask you to comfort those who need a touch from your spirit. Please bring them your peace. For those who might have financial difficulties, please provide for their needs. And for those who may be distressed, depressed this morning, we ask you to free them from this bondage and let them be encouraged by your presence. We ask for your anointing on the rest of our service of worship. We pray for a special anointing on our pastor as he brings your word to us this morning. Give us ears to hear and minds to discern what you are saying to us this day. And then as we gather at your table, remind us of the love and grace that was lavished on us through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Empower us now with the gifts and wisdom of the Holy Spirit so that we might be your agents of reconciliation in this very troubled world. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, One God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. 
you can stand now and greet someone, especially someone who you may not know who they are, and welcome them. you all greeting one another and we are glad that you're with us. I'm just going to go through a few announcements or new or if this is one of your first weeks with us. Um, hopefully you were greeted at the door when you came in or maybe someone said hello to you but we would love to get to know a little bit more about you if you fill out a card that's in front of you in the row or goes to our information um, center after church. We would love to know you, how you came here and how we can serve you. Um, so welcome if you are new. Also coming up in a few weeks, I talked about it last week, but August 27th, put it on your calendar. We won't be meeting here in the sanctuary. We will be meeting over at Meadow Breeze Park. So plan for that. Same time, 10 o'clock. But when you come, bring a dessert to share. So after service, um, we'll have hot dogs, hamburgers, and um, some things that we've all brought together. So plan to do that. Plan to invite someone to come with you as well. Um, it's a beautiful time to be outside in creation. So on your calendar. Um, and as we thank you for the ways that you support this place, for the ways that we become a community together because of your faithfulness, um, we wanted to highlight men's group and women's group. But those are things you haven't been a part of in the past. Those are wonderful places to get connected, um, to get to know someone who maybe you see way across the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. Um, you are very welcome at those places. So when you hear that they're happening, um, maybe take a step and come join us either at men's group or women's group. That is one way that um, we meet the needs of each other um, in a more personal way, that we grow together in a more personal way. So thank you for those of you who continue to give faithfully, who continue to support this church. And that's one of the things that we can do is not just meet together on a Sunday morning, but make time um, throughout the month and throughout the week to make personal connections. So thank you for your faithfulness. We are glad that you are here, and let's continue to worship together. We're going to invite you to stand one more time. We're going to sing one more song together this morning. Uh, I'm guessing you'll know it. You'll certainly be familiar with the verses. But uh, if you're new with us and you've never been part of a, of a worship time or a singing or a praise time, I invite you to just in, uh, embrace or... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? There you go. That was smooth, Jason. Uh, just the environment. Just... Start to just be open to realizing God's presence in the room. Uh, we don't sing just out of habit. We don't sing out of, well, this is the program that we, we do. We do this because uh, the way God created us, uh, things like music and poetry and the arts open our hearts. They open us up to being more aware of the, 
atmosphere and the environment. A part of the atmosphere that the Bible teaches us, when two or th- at least two or three people are gathered to focus on God, His presence is palpable. And so we do this, and as we sing Amazing Grace this morning, I encourage you to just think about God's incredible love for you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm 
as we uh, transition to a different part of our service, God, I pray that our, our hearts would be open to what you have a, for us to hear. God, that you would uh, speak through me, and that it wouldn't be my voice going forward, but it would be your heart through my words. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you guys are dismissed to kids' church. All of the things can happen. That was supposed to be funny, and no one laughed. That's a difficult question for me to ask because no one's ever not been able to hear me. But good morning. We're, we're glad that you're here. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm one of the, uh, I am the pastor here at FTC. Uh, I'm actually one of the pastors. We have a pastor emeritus who's around too, Pastor Jerry. Uh, but I'm, I'm the pastor here, and it's so great that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. And if you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're here. You're a huge part of our community. And I uh, encourage you during the, the service this morning or during the message to chat, uh, be engaging in the chat, uh, work together, ask questions about what's happening and, and share your thoughts on some of the, on the points of the message so that community happens in the online environment. Church is better when you're here. And so thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, this morning we're continuing our summer series on the Sinai experience. If you're new with us or if you haven't been here this summer, maybe you've been away or traveling and this summer's a great time to do that. We, we talked a couple, actually last week about observing the Sabbath and allowing rest to be part of our rhythm. And so that's an important uh, thing for you to do, especially in the summer where, where school is out and those kinds of things. But it's great to have you back if you're with us. But we've been spending our time this month looking at the Israelites experience at Mount Sinai, which in the Bible you can find in Exodus chapter 20. Um, and so if you're not aware of the, the, this story, Mount Sinai is the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. It's where he intended to meet with his people. And among the many things that happened at Sinai, the, the Israelites camped at Mount Sinai for about a year. It's about 11 months. And God intended for them all to engage him, but they were a little afraid of that. And so they made Moses their point person and God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And so uh, the last couple of weeks after providing some background on that and, and the story uh, or the state of the Israelite community as they approached Sinai, we looked at the first two commandments. We said the first one is worship no one but Yahweh. And the second one is represent Yahweh well. And I proposed that those two commandments establish the foundation upon which the Mosaic covenant or the covenant that happens at Sinai between Israel and God, they, those two commandments form the foundation of the covenant formula. 
Those two flesh out what faithfulness looks like in every conceivable way of life. Because God was not just concerned about their spiritual life, but God was concerned about Israel's holistic experience from work to family to conflict to marriage to property to reputation. And so the covenant sets all of that in place. Last week we looked at the third, we took a deep dive into the third commandment, which uh, is called observe the Sabbath. We discovered or we were reminded that the Sabbath is to be a day of consecration. It's a day of celebration and it's a day of community. Observing the Sabbath is, a, is an expression of our trust in God and it's, a, it's an example of how we follow God's example. And then I concluded last week by giving some practical examples of how we can incorporate the principle of Sabbath into our own lives. And so today, moving on to, the, to number four, and some of you may have heard, learned this as the fifth commandment. If you early on in the series, I, I said that sometimes uh, in the Christian world, we struggle to learn to count to 10. There was no math in our Sunday school uh, classes. And so uh, some people would look at this as the fifth command. Uh, I'm presenting to you as the fourth command. Uh, we'll find later the first and the second command can sometimes be considered one command, and that's what we've done. The ninth and the tenth commands can, uh, or the tenth command can sometimes be considered two commands. That's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about covet in a couple weeks, and we're going to say that God presented two things we shouldn't covet. This is going to answer Pastor Jerry's wondering of how I'm going to get to ten. This is helping him. If no one else right now, this is helping him because God told us not to covet our neighbor's property or our neighbor's partner. And so uh, a, a wife was not a man's po- property. And so we're, we're going to talk about those coveting things in two separate commandments. But today we're going to talk about what I'm presenting as the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment, the one that I think I have the most trepidation talking about. The one I honestly... If, if I'm very open and vulnerable and at full disclosure, this is the one I've been wanting to talk about the least. It's the one I'm most uncomfortable with. The fourth commandment tells us to honor our father and our mother. But how does this command play out in real life when children are under their parents' care as well as when they become adults? So let's see what the Bible says about this fourth commandment. Now, I tell you why this is one I'm hesitant about. It's not because of the command itself. Now, I have to admit, that would be weird. If I got up here and I blasted the idea of honoring parents, especially with my own kids sitting in the room, that would be kind of strange. But the reality is we live in a world where the family structure is often very different from the family structure the ancient Israelites considered normal. Many of you here this morning, many of you joining us, many of you online, if we're honest, have, a, have very complicated thoughts uh, and feelings about your relationship with your parents. And that happens for a variety of reasons. And so we're here today to talk about honoring our parents when some of us really feel uneasy about that. And so the reality is we're going to talk about it. I'm going to do my best to talk about it in as many ways as possible. But I'm also going to not shy away from the fact that the Bible says to honor our parents. So we teach what the scriptures say, and then we try to find ways for it to be uh, contextually understood in the manner in which we live. 
On top of that, this commandment tends to be thought of, of the Ten Commandments, as the one that's written for children. This is the commandment for kids. But the text in the original language does nothing to indicate a change of audience. This idea was for all of Israel. And it was especially critical in a culture where multi-generational households, such as uh, what was happening in ancient Israel, lived. Protecting parents' honor ensured that the Sinai covenant would be passed from generation to generation. In Israelite culture, in in ancient Israel, in in the way in which they lived, their society was built on oral tradition. Things were, tenets, values, rules, structure was passed down from generation to generation to generation through the teaching of young people. And as God is bringing the the country or the nation of Israel to Sinai and preparing them to send them off to the promised land, which is a promise they've been living on for generations. He's trying to set them up in a way that they can sustainably survive their life as a nation together. These rules are not just something that stand on a uh, two ark-shaped pieces of stone that hang in a courthouse. They were very intentional about the foundation of this was the way Israelite culture was supposed to be. And Israelite culture was supposed to be very different from the world in which it lived. They were a shining example of the different way God had ordained and created us to live. And these these tenets are part of being that shining example. And as they built their culture and passed it down generationally, as they lived with multiple layers of generations in their own household, they passed these things on. And so it was important for parents to to do this, and it was important for offspring to listen and learn how to live. Protect uh, Ephesians 6 2 says that this commandment, this honor your father and mother, is the first commandment with a promise. It says so that you'll, it says so that you, uh, if we, did I skip reading the commandment? Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Exodus 6 2, like I said, it says that this is the first commandment of the promise, so that you may live long in the land the, the Lord your God is giving you. Well, what does that mean? Does this mean that if individuals listen to their parents well and behave themselves, that they will live to an old age? As a parent with children in the room, I would love to tell you that that's what this means. That if you'll obey me... Things will go well for you. That's not an individual promise. It's not necessarily. We can't think, uh, we can all think of godly, uh, parent honoring people who died young. 
That's not a, it's not a formula. It doesn't promise old age. It's a covenantal commitment that promised an entire nation would continue to enjoy living in God's blessing as long as they did what God instructed them to do. And if we look at the ancient, the, the, the story of Israel throughout the scripture, when they begin to live outside of the covenant they have with God, what happens? They get invaded and they get taken into uh, to other uh, other empires and they lose their land. What was the promise in this commandment? Honor your father and mother so that you'll live long in the land your father is giving you. When Israel deviates from listening to what God had told them, from, from living inside the covenant they had made with God, they lose the blessing of that comes with living for God. Now, what does that mean for you? Very quickly, because this is not in the notes. Does this mean if you don't live inside the rules or the guidelines that God has set for us, you live outside his blessing? Yes and no. Well, which one, Jason? Yes and no. You're confusing. Yes, I am. And no, it's not. The reality is, Scripture teaches us in the New Testament, there's nothing we can do that separates us from the love of God. And so, because of the sacrifice of Christ, if we are, our sins, past, present, future, are forgiven when we receive Christ. When we ask Him to forgive our sins, He is faithful and just to do that. And so it's done, it's doing, and it's going to be done. Those are covered. But we still make choices that can put us outside of the plan that God has for us doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It doesn't, valid, it doesn't invalidate Jesus' sacrifice. But you can put yourself in places that don't align with what God has for you. And so it's yes, he can still love you. He can still forgive your sins. And no, you can still live outside the land that God has for you. Does that make sense? We, doesn't mean because of the work of Christ. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the work of Christ. Their relationship with God, their acceptance to God was fully based on their behavior. In the New Testament, we, Jesus, Jesus has cleared the way for us to have a relationship with the Father. But we can still make choices that don't, resent him, don't represent him in the world. And when we do that, when we deviate from the plan that God has set for us, we place ourselves outside of the blessing. So in the New Testament, there's less curse, but blessing is circumstantial, if you will. If you want to live inside the blessings of God, you follow his commands. In the Old Testament, if you didn't live inside the commands of God, you could be cursed. Is that okay? So, does this matter to us then? Yes, it does. Because we want to position ourselves to fully receive all of the blessings that God has for us. Jesus didn't come to eliminate the law, He fulfilled the law. Uh, so, this. Um, Discarding the, the, uh, the parents' faith would have, been, would have disastrous conse- uh, consequences for Israel. But their parents were the primary way they learned about what was right. That's still true. The primary 
relationship that we learn about authority from is from our parents. And those of us who've had two-year-olds, I would say those of us who are who have been two years old, but most of us don't remember when we were two. But all of us when we were two went through a phase called the terrible twos, where we learned to see just how much we could test the authority. And most of us, if we are, uh, have, were blessed with good parents, we went through that with our parents. But inevitably, we went through that with a parental figure who guided us through those difficult times. And clearly, all of us never had more times like that when we were teenagers. Nobody laughed. That means either that's true or nobody wants to admit it. So with, with all of those things understood, let's begin to explore the command to honor fathers and mothers. First, this commandment is rooted in God's structure of creation. God has given authority to various offices within the structure of his created order. And one of those offices is parent. The family, the idea of family, the concept of family was built into the fabric of creation from the beginning with Adam and Eve. They were given the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. And this was reiterated after the flood with, with Noah, where Noah was also commanded to repopulate the earth. The family structure not only provided for the population of the world, but also it's for the good of children and society in general. This commandment is crucial for us to study and understand because it relates directly to how God has ordained and ordered the world and how it should be. He's given us the family structure so that we walk into it. Well, what about people who uh, are single? See, now that is an interesting tidbit. And that's why contextually we have to talk about this. What about families, couples that don't have children? That's another thing we, we need to talk about. Does that mean that, that's, that they are outside the structure and the, the, the order which God created things? No. There are times when couples struggle to conceive and to have children, and that can be a real burden for them, and it's a real trying time. It is not something that makes them outside the Bible, outside of God's blessing. It's not a curse. It can feel like it. But it doesn't mean you're outside of God's order or God's plan or God's love or God's blessing. And so that's one of the, why nuance is important here. Second, honoring parents is one way we honor and love God. Obeying parents is one way that children honor and obey God. As I indicated earlier, this commandment does come with a promise. Honoring parents was tied to the promise of the land for, that would belong to both the parents and their descendants. Um, children who honored their parents would be rewarded with peace and long life in the land God gave them. The punishment for children who continuously and unrepentantly disobeyed parents, according to the scriptures... Children who were bad. Now, don't think right now of all the people in the room or in the online chat that you think just got described with what I said. Children who were bad. The punishment for being uh, continually disobedient was 
death. You were stoned. If you continually disobeyed your parents, you were put to death. Now that's harsh. Any parents wish sometimes we could reinvent that? Don't raise your hand. Interestingly, when Paul uh, reminds the Ephesians about this commandment, he purposefully leaves out the reference to the land of Israel. That's because Christians today do not have the promise of a specific land, but rather we have different hopes. Presently, our hope is not found in a place. Let me reiterate that. When you come to Christ, your hope isn't found in a place. You don't come to Christ. Some people do. There's more to coming to Christ than just the promise of heaven. If the, if the idea of putting our faith in Christ was just about going to heaven, then God would have purposed it that when you came to Christ, you died and went to heaven. That doesn't happen. God wants you to live in his blessing and in relationship with him here. And so our hope isn't in a place. Our hope's in a person, in the person of Jesus who conquered and defeated all of the things that we are fighting against. And so because of him, we have hope in him to also be part of the victory. Our hope is in a person, not a place. Jesus is our promised land. Now, You might find that strange. But for ancient Israel, their hope was found in three things. Their hope was found in the Torah, which was the Old Testament, the first five books, the scriptures. Really what happens at Sinai, the Torah, the temple or the tabernacle, and the land. That's what their hope, that's what made them a legitimate nation, those three things. That's what gave them a sense of confidence. We receive a sense of confidence from Christ. Our confidence is in him. Jesus is the land that is promised to us. That's weird, I know, but that's true. Secondly, well... We know that Jesus fulfilled the law. He made his presence available to us, and all of our pride is found in him. Secondly, we look forward to a promise of the new heavens and the new earth. So there's an idea of a place. We're just not in a hurry to get there. Have you ever, have you ever wanted to go on vacation? How many people like being in the airport when the plane gets delayed? Nobody, because you want to get there, because it's about the destination. That's the opposite of what's happening in our faith journey. We, we don't have to be in a hurry to get to heaven. We can enjoy God's provincial blessing here. And listen, I'm not in a hurry for me to get there. I'm also not in a hurry for you to get there. Just like life is better, or church is better when you're here, my life is better when we're together. We enrich each other. And so um, this commandment is part of God's call to love God and love neighbor as the good fruit of faith in Jesus. Still, while we're a family, while we're better together, the family unit still remains fundamentally one of God's providential gifts for the flourishing of humanity. We know this in sociology today. That when children grow up in a 
in a healthy family where parents are in good relationship, those children tend to flourish. It's not a, just like the first one, it's not a promise, it's not a formula, but it's setting them up to have the best case scenario. Honoring parents often leads to good, peaceful family relationships. Listening to the parents' good counsel can keep a child from making mistakes in life he or she might otherwise make. We can learn from the experience of people more seasoned than us. Sometimes we don't want to learn that lesson. In my youth, I wasn't interested in learning that lesson. Some of you may have heard me tell the story of when I was driving down the road with my friend in the car and I rolled down the window driving past my father. I said, Dad, the alignment's off in the car. And he said, how fast are you hitting the speed bumps at college? And I didn't want any more part of this conversation because how did he know I was doing that? Because he, he had an experience. He had an experience in life and he, it impacted the way we talked. And I could either learn from that or I could fight against it. But I was better off if I was willing to learn from it. Three, honoring parents means more than doing chores. Here's the history lesson part of today's message. In 19, in, in 1563, there was a thing called the Heidelberg Catechism. And um, it was, a, it was a, a forum where they, uh, church leaders and scholars tried to flesh out answering questions. And so they presented 129 questions that they provide answer for. And the 104th question, a lot of these were built around the Ten Commandments. The 104th question is, what does God require from this commandment? And the answer that they came up with was that we, sh- we all, uh, that we show all honor, love, fidelity to our parents. And in all authority over me, we submit ourselves to the good instruction and correction with due obedience and also patiently bear with the weaknesses and infirmities that since it still pleases God that, that they govern us by their hand. In 1563, they admitted, they put on paper what we all needed, knew to be true. Your parents aren't perfect, except yours. That's why it was difficult to talk about this today. Because there's really some screwed up parents in the world. Because there's some screwed up people. And so how how do you talk to people about honoring their parents when their parents don't live a life that is honorable? Honoring our parents doesn't stop when we turn 18 or 21. This commandment is a lifelong command that includes respecting, loving, and faithfully bearing with our parents. Along the way in which a a child honors his or her parents, uh, it, it changes over time how that happens. But the command continues. Um, these verses, this, this idea doesn't mean we should obey our parents when they command us to do something wrong. It's not a blindful obedience. It's a, it's, our obedience is first and foremost to God. But if our parents are doing their job correctly, then we, uh, they are raising children in the instruction of the Lord and they should be listened to. And so that gets us to number four. Uh, this command has implications for parents. 
As Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 6, fathers, do not promote your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God has given, given parents authority over their children. However, to treat one, to mistreat one's child is to abuse the authority God has given. Parents are given to children for the instruction and protection to train them in the commands of God. Any, any behavior that contradicts this God-given idea is an abuse of authority and a corruption of what God intended for it to be for the good of children and the good of society for, in general. When parents misuse their parental role, It scars society. If you're here this morning and your parents mistreated you habitually, not by accident, all of us, including me, fail in this sometimes. But those parents who walked into abuse with their children, I'm sorry for what happened to you. It was not in God's intention for your life. And walking into the command to honor your parents when that happened to you is a very sketchy thing. One that should be handled with counsel, with counseling. And it should not be considered where you should just continually put yourself in a position where someone mistreats you. Family relationships have always been rocky and difficult ever since the beginning of the fall. Toddlers scream and throw tantrums. Teenagers rebel against the rules their parents have set up. Pastors sometimes drive too fast. Parents get angry and treat their children unfairly. This is true not just of parent-child relationships, but of any authority structure that God has set in motion. I was in, uh, yesterday, Joy and I were antiquing, and there was a sign that I took a picture of, and I forgot to make a slide for it. But uh, it was, it was, it fascinated me, because I felt like it was so true. It says, if you want to, if you want your children to listen to you, start talking softly to someone else. They'll listen if you're talking to somebody else. They'll listen if they think you're talking about them. Sometimes not so much if you're talking to them. Uh, well, no, um, uh, as sinners, we don't like to do what we're told. As people uh, who want to develop our own independence, we can struggle in the face of authority. Submitting to authority uh, figures in our lives is often difficult, uh, especially for those who are really, really interested in independence a well-known example of this is the prodigal son in luke 15 jesus tells the story of the prodigal son the wayward son who dishonored his father by asking for his inheritance early and running off to squander it it showed a lack of respect and love for the family the people who cared for him who fed him uh, when and, and and so he goes off and he eventually finds himself where he cannot feed him or care for himself by the way he had been there before When he was a little child, he couldn't care for or feed himself. He goes off on his own and he finds himself back to where he was before. When we don't submit to the way God has for us, we often find ourselves back where we were before we related to God. We make the same mistakes often over and over. And so... um, uh, 
We are, uh, so uh, I lost my place. Are we not like the prodigal son in various ways? We take our parents for granted sometimes. Uh, we demand that they take care of us. They give us money. They leave us alone. By the way, this is just in my house. I'm sure it's not in yours. Uh, so that we can do, uh, so that they can do with it what they, what they want. Ultimately, we, because I'm part of this, we turn around and abandon the very arms that worked for and cared for us. Ultimately, this is a reflection. The story of the prodigal son is a reflection of humanity's rebellion against God, our Heavenly Father. Beginning with Adam, we all ran away from God's love, care, and protection, and we struck out our own. And we squandered our wealth on things that were not lasting. And we're left with nothing. And what do we learn in the prodigal son narrative? That the Father, who is God... He's always watching for us to come back. He doesn't wait. As soon as he sees us, he runs after us. That's an honoring parent, by the way. You want an example of an honoring parent? The prodigal son's father sees his son far off and runs to him. Always putting his son below himself. Christ was the perfect child by honoring his earthly parents and his heavenly father. Jesus was born into a family structure and seemingly obeyed the commandment perfectly, even as God uh, was incarnate. He honored his earthly father and mother by submitting to their care and authority. They didn't always know where he was. It wasn't just attached to them. In in Luke chapter 2, we see Jesus at the temple. His parents have walked home, and they realize three days later, they realize he's not with them. Apparently, apparently they had different rules for how often you need to check in with your parents. Three days later, they figure this out. Where's Jesus? They go back and he, he speaks to them in a way that some would say is disrespectful. But the truth is, it's honest. He says, where'd you think I'd be? I'm in my father's house. He's always obeying. He's always honoring. At his death, he's caring for and looking out for his mother. Even though we often fail in keeping this commandment, God has provided a way for us to be reconciled to himself and adopted into his family. Through Christ, who was perfect, we have an opportunity to honor our heavenly father. Even though our lives wouldn't necessarily be so honoring to him. And so as, as children made in the life of Christ, believers are called to honor their parents now out of love and gratitude, uh, the love and gratitude to God, for he provides for us even through parents. So we honor our parents because we love God, even when they're wrong. That doesn't mean we placate, doesn't mean we walk into the abuse, like I said, but we still want to be honoring of our parents so today I offer 10 practical ways, we're going to do this in five minutes, that we can be intentional about honoring our fathers and mothers. And I recognize that for some of you, this will be more difficult, and some of these will be more difficult than others. And for those of you who are unable to implement these or feel uneasy about them, I understand that. And I even encourage you to seek wise counsel about these if you need to. Because after all, this is one of the 
presiding principles of, of that command. One of the presiding principles of honoring their father and mother is that their father and mother is wise counsel. And so if that's not the case for you, seek it elsewhere. But here are the 10 practical tips for us to honor our parents. First, pray for them. No matter what your relationship with your parents are, pray for them. In fact, pray first. It's a good rule in all of life. Pray for your parents. For some of you, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. For some of you, it's a prayer of request. For some of you, it's a prayer of God, help them come to faith in Jesus. There are multiple unthinkable amount of prayers that we can pray for our parents. The important thing is we honor our parents even if we are not in relationship with them or if we're having dinner with them after church today. Whatever it is, whatever your relationship with your parents, pray for them. Second, be thankful for them. Third, communicate with them. Now, for some of you, this is no longer possible. Some of your parents, some of your parents aren't with us anymore. Revert back to rule number one. Pray. Because while you may not have earthly parents with you right now, you have a heavenly father who is always present. And so be in communication with your heavenly father. Four, offer them respect. And when I, I said just a few minutes ago, um, communicate with them. This is a great opportunity for us to be humble and ask. When we ask our parents for input on our life decisions we're not sure of, when we ask people who are in our circle, who may be more seasoned, who are mature, when we go for help and humble ourselves and say, it's not all dependent on me, we honor the principle that God was in placing in this command. See, the, the idea of honoring our parents wasn't just about the family model. It included the family model, but it was about all of Israel functioning together. For the be- we are all for the betterment of each other. When you come to a place where you are willing to accept that other people are there to help you, you're in a better place. Five. Seek their wisdom and advice. We just basically talked about that. Six, this one I don't get well very often. Encourage them. I, full disclosure, sometimes I want six to be poke fun at them. Because I'm really good at that with my parents. Especially my mom. If you know my mom, you know why. But encourage them. It's a way we can honor them. Seven, this is one of the ones that might be more difficult for some of you than others. Forgive them. Number eight, be honest with them, even on the tough things. Number nine, speak well of them publicly and privately. It's another one that might be difficult. 
The last one, take care of them. When given an opportunity to take care of those who either did or should have taken care of you, you have an opportunity to represent Christ into that relationship. We're going to take communion together in just a second. This is another way, uh, rep, another expression of honor. Be honest right now, I have a little bit of uneasiness in my spirit. Because I have talked to so many of you who I knew this morning, you, this is a tough one. We live in a broken world. And many of you have had to deal with the consequences of that brokenness, even from the start of your life in your relationships that were fundamental right from the very start. If you have a broken relationship with your parents this morning, can I pray for you? Actually, can we do that? Elders, if you could come forward and be ready to serve. But before we do that, I'm going to pray. Jesus, through your infinite grace and mercy. God, I pray right now for those who have had a broken relationship with their parents, whose parents were not kind to them or loving, or maybe it's through their decisions, things led to a breakdown of that relationship. God, we want to implore the principle of honoring our parents in our lives, but sometimes that's really difficult. So I ask for your Holy Spirit to guide those who are, who, who are in those struggling situations. In your name we pray. Help us as a church to come beside them. In your name we pray. Amen. Each Sunday as a church, we share communion together. If you're new with us, you're certainly invited to participate. What we do is we stand, we come to the center aisle that's closest to you, and we receive the elements from from one of the elders, and then we take it back to our seats and we share together. And I'll invite everybody to come right now, and we'll do that. If you're not able to come forward but you would like, we we will have somebody deliver these elements to you in in the row.
The other side of it that I acknowledge is that some of you, this is hard because you've lost one of your parents. Certainly we want to be praying for Dawn. She lost her mom this week. So I know several of you have lost your parents or a parent in the past year. And this can bring up those wounds. And so we just ask for the presence of God to be with you as you walk through those experiences. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he handed it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. When you eat this meal, when you come together, when you're together, remember me, honor me. Would you pray with me? Jesus. God, I want us to honor you. In the easy and the hard ways. So we remember today, we honor you. Amen. Would you take the bread? It says, goes on to say, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And actually the thought that just came to me right now, as I've really been struggling this morning, thinking about those of you who have really strained relationships with your parents. is that you have a parent, a father, who loved you so much, he sent his son to die. And so this cup is a representation of the correction of the failure that people have experienced in your life. And so if you have those struggling parent relationships, I encourage you to ask God to help you to receive the love that is correct to you, the love of Jesus. Would you pray with me, Jesus? Help us to receive your love. It is often so hard to be convinced that we are worthy, especially when we've experienced harsh harm. Through your grace, through your mercy, and through your love for us, help us to know that we don't have to do anything to earn your love, but that you love us unconditionally. We honor you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Would you take the cup with me? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. He make, the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. Turn his face toward you and give you peace. God, I pray that our week would be marked by your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday. Thank you.